Well, folks, good evening. Uh, thank you for coming uh, along this evening. Um, I'm going to follow the same pattern as we uh, began with last night. Uh, I'm going to read some verses from Scripture, and then I'm going to pray, and then we'll have our second talk um, on the subject of coping with a wayward child. Um, if there's any questions afterwards, then uh, I'd be happy to try and uh, answer them. But let's begin by reading from uh, the Gospel of Luke, chapter um, 15. <coughs> uh, those of you who know uh, God's Word reasonably well will know that Luke 15 uh, contains three parables, and each one of them is a uh, teaching that ga- Jesus gave in respect of things that were lost uh, the lost sheep, and then the lost coin, and then last of all, the lost son. And it's that last parable that I'm going to use as the basis of our talk for this evening. Uh, So we'll read it together from verse 11 of chapter 15. Jesus is the one speaking and it says, And he said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had, and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. When he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe, put it on him, and a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and he, as he came and drew near the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you and I have never disobeyed your command, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who who has devoured your property with prostitutes, You killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, 
and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. And we'll end our reading there at the end of that 15th chapter. Let's just come to God as we pray and as we commit this meeting to him in prayer. Let's pray together. Father, we gather in this meeting room this evening thanking you for the comfort of the accommodation that we have. Thankful, Lord God, for your gracious provision for us each day in life. You are the God in whom we live and move and have our very existence. You created us. Moment by moment, you sustain our lives. And you are the God to whom one day we will all have to answer when you take that life back to yourself. Thank you that you've given us the scriptures and that these scriptures testify to the coming of your son Jesus Christ into this world, that he is the only saviour of sinners. And we thank you, Heavenly Father, that while he was here upon earth, that he taught the people in a way that no man had ever taught them before. And the people marveled at his teaching. And we pray, O God, that as we look this evening at part of that teaching, that you might help us to marvel as through this teaching Jesus shows us something of the wonder of redeeming and forgiving love. We pray, Lord, that we might learn this evening the things that you would teach us and that these things, O Lord, would be things that we would take to heart and that they would have an impact for spiritual good in every one of our lives. We pray, Lord God, for this community in which we live and in which many of us witness We long to see a mighty work of your Spirit in the lives and in the hearts and in the homes of many people who this evening have very little thought of God. Father, we know that that will continue to be the case unless it pleases you to work. And so we would pray the prayer of your servant of old to revive your work in the midst of these years, in the midst of these years make known, and in wrath remember mercy. Hear us as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So our subject this evening is coping with a wayward child. Uh, It's a subject that many Christian parents can identify with. Uh, They know what it's like for a son or a daughter maybe whom they've raised in the ways of God, bringing them to church from the hour they were born almost, reading them stories from the Bible, uh, teaching them about God, about the Lord Jesus Christ, bringing them to Sunday school and all those sorts of things. And maybe those children, for most of their childhood, uh, seemed to really like church and everything that was associated with church. But as sometimes happens, children get to their teenage years and especially when they get to the stage where they're going to leave home and get further education, they decide to move away from home. Maybe it's because they get a job in some other town, or maybe it's the fact that the university they want to go to is in England or Scotland or Wales or somewhere like that. And not only do they leave their family behind, some of those children also leave behind and want no more to do with the Christian upbringing that they had. And you know the sort of life that maybe those children are living now. Uh, 
maybe you know the fact that either your own children or children that you know of friends are sometimes living lives the terrible effects of which are having uh, a major impact upon both their physical and mental well-being not even to mention their spiritual well-being um, and the thought of your son or your daughter or friends sons or daughters uh, living like that and the impact that it's having upon your lives is something that really it can break your heart uh, to think that your son or your daughter is living the sort of life that you never wanted them to live uh, and that really has impacted hard upon you and although you do your best not to show it it's something nevertheless that's always there if anyone asks you about them you say they're doing fine uh, when deep down you know they're not really many parents who are Christians or even non-Christians know the anguish of having uh, what is often called a rebellious son or a rebellious daughter Jesus told a story about such a family situation it's probably one of Jesus' best known stories or as we know them parables Jesus knew it would strike a chord with many who were listening to him that day but whilst it struck a chord with many who themselves had rebellious sons or daughters, Jesus intended that every single person in his audience that day would come to realise that this story wasn't so much about their sons and daughters, although it included that. It was also a story about every one of them. Because in reality, the prodigal in this story is every one of us as we're going to see so if you've come here tonight and maybe you've got a wayward son or a wayward daughter and you want to know how to cope with it I hope that what I have to say from the scriptures will be of some help to you but to be honest what I hope more than anything else is that by the end of the evening you will have come to realise that in your natural state you yourself are the prodigal son in this story. That you'll come to see that in your unsaved state, the pain and hurt and sorrow that a parent experiences as a result of their children going their own rebellious ways is but a pale reflection of the pain and the hurt and the sorrow that's experienced by God the Father, who is the Father in the parable. Think of the love that you have for a wayward son or daughter. Think of what you would not give if only you could bring them to their senses and turn their life around, which of course none of us have the power to do. But you would love to be able to do that. And as you think like that, you're beginning to think and get an insight into the loving, redeeming heart of God. So let's take let's take a look at this well known parable and let's see what God has to say for to us. Uh, I'm going to divide it up hopefully in a way that you're going to easily remember. One is first of all to look at this young man at home. That's our first heading. 
at home. The scene is a typical Jewish family who own a farm. The father is the farmer. He seems to be doing quite well for himself and his family. He has servants who work for him. We learn that later on in the story. And his two sons also work on the farm. And early on in the story, it becomes very evident that one of the two sons, at least outwardly one of the two sons, the younger of the two, is chafing under the burden of family life as he's been living it for some time. It's quite clear that this younger of the two sons, from his request, as we're going to see, has had a fundamental breakdown in his relationship with his father. The fact of the matter is he no longer enjoys living at home, if he ever did. He no longer wants to live under the same roof as his father. He doesn't want to live under his father's authority anymore. And as he sees it, he doesn't want to live the sort of life that he's had to live at home for many years on the farm. How do we know this breakdown has taken place? It doesn't actually say that. Well, it's very simple, really. You see it in the request that this young man makes. He goes to his father and he says to him, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. Now, for us to understand that, we have to get into the Jewish mindset. And according to Jewish law, at the time when a father dies, his estate is divided up, if he's got two sons, it's divided up between his two sons. One son, the youngest son, gets one third of the estate. The eldest son gets two thirds of the estate. And that comes into effect only when the father dies. Now the fact that this young man wants his payout now shows that he can't wait for his father to die. He doesn't actually use the words, but in effect what he is saying is, I wish you were dead. He'd reached a stage where any love that he had for his father was gone. Any respect he had for his father's rules and regulations by which the home was run, they were simply despised. The only thing this young man wanted was to have the means to be able to get away from home and to live life the way he wanted to live it. He was fed up with all the rules, with all the regulations. He was fed up with how he was expected to live life at home. For him it was far too restrictive. Maybe he had friends who themselves had left home and maybe they were sending word back to him of what a brilliant life they were living now that they were free. Now the reality is the father hasn't done anything wrong. He's cared for him. He's provided for his son. He's looked after him. He's loved him all these years when he's been growing up in his family home. But at this stage in his life, the son had no love for his father. In fact, if the truth be told, he seems to be despising his father and everything that his father stood for. And he just wanted to get away and live life as he wanted to live it. One writer says he was a son in name, but he wasn't a son in heart. And sadly that can happen with our children. 
It may not develop to the extreme that we see in this story. The breakdown may be less intense, it may be less severe, there may be less hostility, but Christian parents can experience a breakdown in their relationships with their children despite the way they brought them up. Despite all that a mother, all that a father does for their child, despite the good Christian upbringing that they've had, sometimes they reach a stage where all the children want to do is to get away. A bit like Queen Rock Group of the 80s and 90s, or 70s and 80s and 90s. They have a song called I Want to Break Free. And that can seem to be the anthem of many a teenager. To have the means to move out and to live their lives as they see fit. Don't want to do things the way mummy and daddy say anymore. Especially whenever mummy and daddy's way has to do with the Bible. And so there's this chomping at the bit until they can eventually leave home. But actually the real breakdown in relationships goes beyond the parent-child relationship. The real breakdown in the relationship is much, much more serious because it's a breakdown in the relationship with God. Wanting to get away to do your own thing is basically a rejection of God's authority. It's a rejection of God's love. It's a rejection of God's requirements for our lives. And many a young person in their teens and early twenties don't want God. And they can't wait to get as far away from God and everything that reminds them of him as they can. That was certainly the case with this young man in the story. And the fact is that this prodigal in every single the fact is that this prodigal, as I said earlier, is every single human being in their unsaved condition. Despite the fact that God has given us everything that we have, He's given us the very life that we have, despite the fact that He's provided for us, He's blessed us, He's watched over us, despite the fact that He holds the very breath of our life in the palm of His hand, and that we're totally dependent upon Him, we don't want God in our lives whenever we're not Christians. We don't want to live our life under God's authority or according to God's ways. Many people would be very, very happy if it was true that there is no God. But the Bible says it's the fool who says in his heart that there is no God. This young man would have been more than happy if his dad had been dead so that he could just get on with life as he wanted to live it. And that's why our church buildings have so many empty seats on a Sunday. And that's why this place isn't bunged with hundreds trying to get into it tonight. Because people don't want God in their lives. That's why so many people are so willing to embrace the idea of evolution, which supposedly does away with God. You and I, in 
an unsaved state are this prodigal. And if you do have a son or a daughter who has rebelled against you and gone their own way, they are simply replicating in their relationship and their values and their standards in life what is true of every single unsaved person with regards to their relationship with God. So that's the young man at home. Secondly, leaving home. At home and then leaving home. We've seen him at home. And at home there's a fundamental breakdown in his relationship with his father. And that becomes very evident. Having been given his share of the estate, very shortly afterwards he leaves home. This is how Jesus puts it. And he, the father, divided his property between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. I'm not going to dwell on it, but you'll notice that the father in the story did not withhold from his son what the son really wanted. The father wasn't going to force his son to continue to live under his roof and submit to his authority. The father gave the son what he wanted. The son no longer wanted the father around him. Okay, off you go. It was his own choice to leave. The father didn't forcefully stop him from doing what he wanted. And there had developed a great distance between this son and his father as far as the relationship was concerned. And now we see that relationship distance becomes a geographical distance. The young man packs his bags and he leaves. And he doesn't go and settle down in the next village, a few miles away. He doesn't go to a town, a few miles beyond that. He travels as far away from his father and his home and everything that he had stood for as he could. He took his journey into a far country or a far distant country. He wants to get as far away as he could from everything that home stood for and everything that it reminded him of. It's a bit of a out of sight, out of mind mentality. Home was really and truly now out of sight. This young man wants personal independence. This young man wants personal autonomy. If you'd have seen that young man walking down the road that day, you'd have seen relief on his face. You'd have seen expectation in his eyes. If you'd have asked him how he was feeling, he would have said, I'm glad to get away. But how do you think his father felt? His father would have been sad. He would have been concerned. I'm sure there were tears. Because the father knew exactly what lay ahead. And what sort of a life did this young man live when he finally got to the place he'd chosen to settle down? Well, that brings us to the third thing. We're going to look at him away from home. We've seen him at home, seen him leaving home. Now we're going to see him away from home. 
And what does Jesus say? And there, that is in the far country, he squandered his property in reckless living. Two things to notice. Notice the pleasure he enjoyed. There. Where's there? There is where he was free. In inverted commas. There is where he was away from the watchful eye of his father. There was where he could live as he pleased. There the far country was where he could choose his own friends, do his own things, spend his money on whatever he wanted. There he led a reckless life. That word that's translated reckless points to a life of complete and utter self-indulgence in order to satisfy sensual desires. It's a life where all forms of restraint are completely cast off and the person gives himself or herself to all the pleasures that they want to experience. The exact same word is used in the book of Proverbs in Proverbs 28 and verse 7. Whoever keeps the law is a wise son, but he that is a companion of riotous men shames his father. Notice the contrast. On the one hand you have someone who does not shame his father and is described as a wise son who keeps the law. In other words, he lives according to God's laws. But on the other hand, you have someone who lives a riotous life and he clearly doesn't live according to or keep the law in any way and he brings shame upon his father. His way of life is completely lawless no thought of God's word whatsoever no concern for God's standards of behaviour the only law that such a person knows is what I want what I allow myself to do and in this story of Jesus this young man throws off all restraints later on the elder brother who you could preach a sermon on on its own the elder brother says He wasted all his money on prostitutes. And the likelihood is that he wasn't running his brother down. He was probably telling the truth. The Apostle Peter uses the same phrase in 1 Peter 4 and 4. He speaks to Christians and he says to them, Unbelievers, the unsaved, think it strange that you do not run with them to the same excess of riot. And if you go back to the previous verse in that chapter, you discover that Peter describes the sort of lifestyle he's talking about when he speaks of excess of riot. He talks about living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. That's the sort of thing that this young man got up to in the far country. We would say, while drinking parties orgies in which no sexual desires were left unfulfilled, drunkenness, a complete godless, immoral lifestyle. I don't know whether any of you know of the the painting painted by Jan Steen, I think it is, and it's called Bubbles. And it shows uh, a young man sitting outside a tavern with booze on the table, playing a guitar, and sitting on his knee is a prostitute. And in the corner, someone's standing blowing bubbles. 
and in that painting Steen was painting that the pleasures of this life are just like bubbles they're there and they're real but they'll soon burst as we're going to see pleasures are like poppies spread you seize the flower the bloom is dead or like the snowfall in the river a moment white and then it melts forever or like the rainbow's lovely form it vanishes amidst the storm and sadly and heartbreakingly that's the way some children of Christian parents are living some of them to the same abandoned extreme as this young man others less so more restrained but still a life that causes their parents shame embarrassment sorrow and deep deep pain some of the lives of those young people are more refined and more acceptable to society as a whole in these days Christian parents whose son, daughter is living with a partner they're going out and getting drunk at weekends completely materialistic in their outlook their son or their daughter has come out and said they're gay their daughter has had to have an abortion because it was an unplanned pregnancy but all these things are acceptable today in society and so it doesn't bother them that much but although it's acceptable in society it is still rebellion against God and if you're a parent who has a child like that deep down you know the pain that that brings but as I said earlier God is the father in this parable and every one of us in our unsaved condition is the prodigal an unsaved person has personally decided to reject God. They choose to live their lives apart from God. As far away from God as they can get in the far country. They don't want to think about God. Just as the prodigal didn't want to think about his father. And some of the ways in which this young man lived, they lived. And they think it's freedom. Drunkenness, drugs, gambling, immorality, lying, jealousy, pride, blasphemy, murder, character assassination, the breaking of every one of God's commands. And for many of them, it doesn't bother them in one bit. It didn't bother this young man at this stage in his life. As far as he was concerned, everything was great. If you had met this young man in the parable when he was living his life to the full in his own way and said to him, doesn't it concern you that you're going against everything your father taught you and everything your father would want? He would have said, are you kidding? I'm living life my way and I'm enjoying it. I'm not ashamed of it. I don't care what my father's rules were don't care what his standards are I'm living by my own standards and there's nothing wrong with them 
And the reality is, sin very often is enjoyable, at least for a time. That's what the writer of Proverbs was getting at when he said, Stolen waters are sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. In another one of the parables, Jesus speaks about the pleasures of this world. The Apostle Paul speaks about the unsaved being lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. You see, the devil's no fool. He knows that in order to keep people away from God, he has to make sin enjoyable so that they keep coming back for more. There's an old evangelist by the name of Roland Hill. And Roland Hill met a pig farmer one day. And the pig farmer was taking the pigs down to the abattoir. And the thing was, they were following him. And Roland Hill says, why are they following you? Surely they're bound to know they're going to the abattoir. Oh, he says, it's easy. I simply drop a little piece of something that I know they'll enjoy. And when they see it, they run after me and follow me in the hope that I'll drop some more of those little tidbits. And I just lead them all the way down to their death. So we've seen the prodigal at home. We've seen him leaving home. We've seen him away from home. And away from home we've seen the pleasures he's enjoying. But then we need to see the pain he experienced. You see, all the while he's enjoying himself, he never gave one thought to going back home to his father. That thought probably didn't even enter his head while things were going all right for him in life. It's probably the last thing on his mind. But then something happened. Something that this young man hadn't bargained for. Something that he hadn't really thought about. But something that was going to change his life completely. Listen to what Jesus says. When he had spent everything... A severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So things had been going great. Life was good. He was enjoying himself. But he got up one day and he put his hand in his pocket and he realised he hadn't a single shekel. He hadn't tuppence, we would say. He'd spent every penny he had. Now I would imagine that while this young man had money to spend there would have been plenty of friends who would have helped him to spend it. But once his money was spent, it's evident that they wanted no more to do with him. Can you imagine the reality check that this young man had? Where did it all go? I thought I had plenty of money to spend. I thought I'd be able to do this for years and years, and now I'm skint. And if that wasn't bad enough, he also had the added problem that in that far country they were now facing a famine. There was a time when he could have gone out for dinner in the best restaurant in the far country. Now he can't even eat a crust of bread. He began to be in want or in need. His circumstances in life changed dramatically and the change wasn't for the better life 
had turned sour. The good life came to an end. His hopes, his ambitions, his joys, his pleasures, they all turned to sorrow and pain and confusion and anxiety. And now, probably for the first time in his life, he really began to feel hungry, to feel lonely, to feel isolated, to feel broken. It was only when he thought, sorry, it was only when he was brought into these dire circumstances, only whenever something awful happened in his life, that he realised how temporary and how insubstantial the things of this life, the pleasures of sin, really are. Solomon writes in the book of Proverbs, The way of the transgressor is hard. And he writes again in another part of the book of Proverbs, There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. And that was the path that this young man had chosen. He chose it for himself, but it was taking him down to death. And we look out and we see many young folk who were raised in the church, many young people who were in our Sabbath schools, many young people who whenever they got to their teens, they long for and give themselves to and try to enjoy sin. And they do enjoy it for a time. But then something tragic happens. They become addicted to their pleasures. They father a child that they didn't plan on. They catch some disease. Their boyfriend or their girlfriend leaves them for someone else. Their marriage breaks down. They lose their job and can't afford to pay their bills. They're evicted from where they were living. They're living on meagre benefits. They visit the doctor only to learn that they've got a serious illness. And they discover that the national anthem for the far country of sin was written by the Rolling Stones in 1965. I can't get no satisfaction. And nobody ever gets real satisfaction in the far country. And yet, as this turn of events seemed to be for this young man, this was the very thing that began the process of his getting his life together again. These awful life experiences that he was now facing, this turn of events leads him to think and to resolve to go home to his father whom he despised. Now it didn't happen right away. At first he tries to resolve the problem himself. And so he goes to look for work. Maybe if I get a job and get through this period things will get better. And what job does he get? Feeding pigs. Now this young man is a Jew that Jesus is talking about. And the pigs were the worst animal that you could ever work with as a Jew. They were the most unclean of the animals. 
And Jesus' audience would have recognized that immediately, the implications of working on a pig farm. He's basically saying things couldn't get any worse for this young lad. And he's so hungry, he even thought about eating the food that the pigs were being fed. That basically is telling you he's at the lowest point in his life. And it's at that point that we come to our next point. Because now we're going to see him thinking of home. So he's been away from home. Now he's thinking of home. says, when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I am perishing with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Notice those words, he came to himself. Another translation has, he came to his senses. And what it suggests is this, that his conduct from the day and hour that he left his father's house and set out on a life of sinful indulgence was nothing short of utter madness. Totally irrational. Not thinking straight. And only now, when he's as low as he could be, only now does he stop and think and realise how mad, how stupid he had been. Now he begins to see things as they really are and he sees what really matters in life. Not all the pleasures that he thought were going to satisfy him. And you see, this is what God sometimes does. God sometimes allows troubles and hardships and pain and sorrow and disappointment and loss to come into our life because it's only in those situations and circumstances that some people are brought to their senses. And they begin to think about what life is really all about. It's only in such circumstances that they see how empty the things of this world are and how superficial some relationships in this world are. The young man reflects. There's four amazing contrasts to be seen in this young man's life and experience. I'm just going to mention them because I haven't time to go into them all, but there's a contrast of want and provision. In the far country, he thought he would find satisfaction. He ended up being in terrible need. In contrast to the far country, where he had nothing, his father's house was a place of provision. Plenty to eat there. There his needs could be met. Want and provision. And then there was the contrast between bondage and liberty. He'd set out for the far country seeking freedom, independence, liberty. He regarded being in his father's house as being like a slave. And what did he end up doing in the far country? Slaving for someone who couldn't care less about him. He was really and truly enslaved, tied in knots and chains that he couldn't find a way of escape from. And then it was a contrast between misery and happiness. He sought happiness in the far country, but all the far country gave him was utter misery. 
and then the contrast between death and life he'd gone to the far country to live life to the full and he ends up staring death in the face and perishing with hunger back in the father's house was the place of life and so having reflected he then resolves And it was with all this going on in his life that he came to a decision. He resolves, I'm going to arise and I'm going to go back to my father. And I'm going to say to him, Father, I've sinned against you and against heaven and so on. So he makes this resolution, I'm going to do something to change my circumstances. I'm going to do something. But not only did he resolve, he actually did something else. He actually returned. You see, resolution, him resolving to go back to his father, didn't actually save him. Instead, he had to actually return. Resolution is good. But resolution gets you nowhere. What is needed is action. So people will say, I'm thinking about becoming a Christian. I really am seriously thinking of becoming saved. And that's good insofar as it goes, but thinking about it doesn't actually save anybody. There has to be action. Now here's the thing I want to say to you. If you've been praying for a wayward child to return to God, it may be that God will have to bring real hardship into their lives to stop them in their tracks and to get them to come to their spiritual senses. None of us wants sorrow or pain or disappointment or loss to come into our children's lives, but you know what? Sometimes that's the only thing. Sometimes those are the only circumstances in which they will actually stop and think and turn their thoughts towards God. Someone once said, God sometimes has to put us on our backs in order to get us to look up. Because when you're on your back, it's the only way you can look. Another one has said, pain and suffering are not necessarily signs of God's anger. They may be exactly the opposite. The fact is, if this prodigal in this passage hadn't have suffered what he did suffer, in all likelihood he would never have thought of ever going back to his father. And don't forget, if you're here this evening and you're not saved, you're this prodigal. And God might bring you into hardship and pain and sorrow and loss in order to bring you to your spiritual senses and turn to God. So I've seen him at home, leaving home, away from home, thinking of home, and now lastly, returning home. Time's near gone, so I'll have to go through this quickly. What questions must have been going through that young man's mind as he began 
his journey back. Think about it. Would his father have welcomed him? Maybe my dad will tell me to take myself off. Maybe he'd not have me back. I wouldn't blame him. Maybe he'll say to me, look, you've made your own bed. Lie on it. What sort of reception did he actually get? Well, Jesus says, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion, and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And here you see what I call the anatomy of forgiving love. Say, what do you mean? Well, look at what Jesus talks about. He talks about the father's eyes. The father saw him while he was still far away. What does that tell you? It tells you that the father was looking for this young lad. Maybe every day he was out looking to see if he was coming back along that road. Longing for his son to return. And then it tells you something about the father's heart. He had compassion on him. His heart went out to him. Despite the son's choices, despite his lifestyle and his rebellion, the father still loved him. And then it tells you something else about the father's feet. He ran to meet him. Now folks, this is just totally, totally unbelievable. In a Near Eastern context. Because no old man would ever run. It was not dignified for an elderly person to run. And so when it says that I ran to meet him, this is stressing the joy and the excitement and the eagerness that this man has to have his son back. And then it tells us something about his arms. He embraced him. He wrapped his arms around him. I'm sure you've seen films where somebody has been saved from afar or saved from maybe drowning. And, and they're brought and they're brought over to their loved ones and their loved ones just throw their arms around and they're so glad to hold them that's the picture here and then Jesus tells us something about the father's lips he kissed him and in the original language in which the New Testament was written this means he smothered him with kisses and in the Bible a kiss is symbolic of reconciliation and forgiveness and as for making him a servant, no way, says the father. He wouldn't hear about it. He's going to be treated as a son despite what he had done. And that's amazing love. Now if you've got a wayward son or daughter who's gone away from God, you need to retain the same love for that son or daughter that is shown in this parable so that if that son or daughter came to their spiritual senses and ate humble pie and came home they would receive from you the same welcome that this prodigal received from his father 
Always let your child know that you love them, even if they're living their lives totally against your beliefs and principles. An evangelist was visiting Carlton Hall in the Dugaries in Nottinghamshire once, and as he was looking around it, he noticed there was a bell right above the bed in the main bedroom. It's very unusual. The family were earnest Christians, and they used to hold missions in the village, and every Wednesday night they had a prayer meeting. And at that prayer meeting, they prayed regularly for the eldest son of this family, who was a prodigal. He rebelled against his parents, didn't want anything to do with Christianity, moved away to Australia, and not only did he live a wild life in Australia, he took a sadistic pleasure in writing to his parents and giving them in great detail all the sort of things that he was doing while he was living in Australia. You can imagine how those letters must have broken the hearts of his godly parents. They prayed for years for their son. And then one day, a letter came from him. They thought it was just like all his other letters, but it wasn't. This letter said, I'm so sorry. I want to come home, and I need to be saved. His mother immediately installed the bell above the bed and she told the servants because they had servants upstairs downstairs type of house told the servants they were to ring that bell as soon as the sun arrived even if it was in the middle of the night so that she could be standing down waiting to embrace him you never know when your prodigal might come home And when he or she does, you're to welcome them the way God welcomed them. But let's get back to the real point of the story. The real point of the story is this. If you're not saved, you're that prodigal. You've run away from God. And what Jesus is wanting to get across in this story is this. No matter how sinful your life has been no matter how many sins you've committed no matter how much you've turned your back on and forgotten about God God is willing upon your turning back to him to welcome you back he is the father in this parable and if you return to him and if you repent and turn to him trusting in Christ you will be lovingly embraced And he will own you as his own. How do you come? Well the answer is very easy. Jesus says. I am the way. I am the way. The truth and the life. No man comes to the father. Except through me. So you can't go back to the father. Unless you go hand in hand. With Jesus And Jesus says, whoever comes to me, I will never cast away. We're that prodigal. And some of us maybe have prodigals. May God grant that what we've studied this evening will prove to be of some benefit.